Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel here with Elias Randall for our 130th episode. And this is going to be a good one, Elias. We're going to talk about money and mental health. And a lot of times we talk about how human behavior actually has more determination on financial outcomes than just like the math behind it. That is true. If it was all just about math, people would make better investing decisions. Everybody would be a millionaire because the math is there from the time they're 18. It actually doesn't take that much to get there. Right. And also there would probably be an elimination of, you know, emotional decisions like the market goes down and then people just inherently start thinking it's going to go down forever. Um, you know, so just getting the, the emotional side of what we do. And I think we talked a little bit about it last time we talked about it on our radio program, but like managing the psychology and the emotions, that's not replaceable through like technology and artificial intelligence because, you know, we, we all, we know how to make, I can tell someone here, here's the best, here's an optimal asset allocation for you, but can they actually, can they live through the fluctuations of that? That's a whole nother conversation. It's all about temptation. I'll use this example. I know it's not healthy to eat waffles with syrup on it. Well, this morning when you're eating waffles with syrup, you're not going for health. Right. But I'm not eating it this morning. My kids were eating waffles and syrup. Well, one of them didn't eat all their waffles and syrup. So guess what happened? Dad had a bite of the waffle. Like it wasn't my intention to make a bad food decision. It was just tempting because it was there. It's almost like somebody's 401k. No one's trying to make a bad decision. But when you see that the growth fund you invest in your 401k is down 30% last year, and you can get right onto your 401k screen and make a change, sometimes the temptation overtakes like what we should do. I mean, and even thinking about AI, we did that show a couple of weeks ago on AI where there's people that believe AI is going to take over the financial planning space. It's not going to just, we, we dealt with this 20 years ago. Everybody's going to be a day trader. Not everybody's a day trader, but AI could literally tell people exactly what they need to do. The problem is the individual still has to execute it. I could have had an AI computer going, no, 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 this morning. Like, should I eat this waffle and, you know, maple syrup? And it'd say no, but that doesn't mean Can you? That, that I would actually not be able to eat the waffle and maple syrup. And it's the same thing. You, we're telling people all the time, don't go make a rash decision. But what do people do? They make rash decisions. There you go. So it's can you imagine having an Alexa or something in your house that it knows when you're going to grab a piece of candy or something, it just, no, 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 no. That would be very annoying. And it's, I know it wouldn't stop me, so I don't even need to it have would just, a part of that. But It would just need a proximity like sensor. Like if you get within a certain radius of this, it starts telling you, no, don't eat that. But you're right. Yeah. You're not going to be able to resist. There's certain things you're not going to be able to resist. Now, not like I had a full-blown meal, but I had a bite of it. And is that going to really hurt me? No. But the point is... There's a temptation and urge that everybody has. 
with everything in life. So it's really hard to overcome that. But one of the things in our offices, you know, acutely aware of this is mental health has become a big issue for many people. And we've actually seen it not just kind of in the shadows, but if you look around the sports industry right now, there's been more players who've stepped away from playing athletics to improve their mental health than I can remember. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver, Falcon, stepped away to improve his mental health. Patrick McCaffrey for the Iowa Hawkeyes took like a four or five game break to improve their mental health. And there was a recent mental health study actually conducted by Ramsey Solutions, 2022, that kind of reveals that there's a lot of challenges that are weighing on people. Lack of friendships, poor sleeping and eating habits, money problems, self-doubt. 90% of U.S. adults that were surveyed believe taking care of their mental health is important, although only 29% have seen a professional counselor or therapist. You know what's really funny about that statistic? I'll bet you 90% of America thinks retiring is important, but only like 26% have done a financial plan. You know what I think what that number tells us? 25% of the, the population actually will take action on something. The yeah, other 75 most, just, procast, just procrastinates it. Yeah, right. Most, most of those things, it's like a quarter of people ad- proactively address certain things in their life. Um. And I, I think this is this is probably going to be more relevant, uh, I think, uh, in our business. I think we've seen uh, there's an uptick in younger investors getting involved in investing. And it's, it's just more accessible like everything else. There's investing apps on your telephone. Um, there's just more access to information. And, you know, money whether people like it or not, money is, it's part of our life. It makes the world go around. It can be stressful. Like if you have, you think about a lot of people, if you have too much debt and you're not saving, saving any money, well now you're just like perpetually going to be in this state of never having any money or having any wealth. And a lot of people find themselves in that situation. And that's on top of like think about families with a young family. Well, there's enough stress just being a parent, having a career and having young kids. Those things are stressful enough without, in addition, how am I going to pay my car payment this month? How am I going to pay for my rent? Right. But it's kind of, you have to make it a priority and you have to be responsible with your money. And there's something you know, I think hopefully our business can do a good job adapting and, and helping people through that. But ultimately, you look at these the statistics and the data, like it can, the individual people are going to have to decide that it's important to them and then make and make the, the changes and make the decisions that are going to lead to a successful outcome. Um, you know, so I don't I don't think TikTok financial advice is going to help people's mental health. Like if you're struggling with money and then you get your advice off TikTok. I don't know that that's actually going to help you accomplish any goals. I think TikTok's going to make you feel worse because here's what you're going to watch on TikTok. And remember, most of it's not real. Like most of this is just made up stuff. But you'll you'll go watch someone who's interviewing someone. They say, "How much is in your bank account? Forty thousand. Oh, prove it. How much is in your bank account? Two hundred eighty thousand. Prove it. None of these people actually have that in their bank account because at the end they say, "How'd you get it? They go feetfinder.com. 
It's an advertisement. But if you sit on there all, I'm not, I'm not joking. You go watch it. It's a real thing. Feetfinder.com. We're trying to get people to go on there. But if you go on there, you're going to be like, man, I'm doing something wrong. These 24 year olds have eight, you know, $80,000 in their bank account. It's not real life. It's skewing and distorting and making people feel worse about themselves. In fact, there is a, another study done by Suffolk University in USA Today that shows most registered voters believe we are in a full-blown mental health crisis. And part of me has to think this is in some way correlated to social media because nobody on social media, well, I won't say nobody, the vast majority of people on social media aren't talking about their family or their financial struggles. They're no, posting pictures so of vacation and all the things they're buying yeah. and how life is great and how much money we have, whether it's real or not. Like you realize it's not real. All these videos where these guys are driving around in these fancy cars, you know, they're just renting those cars for the video, but people think it's real. Yeah. So social media is, uh, is like, it's perfect. It's where everyone's life is. Life is perfect. And it, it is, it's going to continue. It's not just social media, but the tech technology and phones and screen time and, and all that. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. And I think being a kid is being a young person is probably more challenging now than it used to be. Cause if you think about 50 and 60 years ago, well, kids went outside and played and used their imagination because there was no other option. Well, the amount of time young kids spend doing those type of things now is less. Even if you're implementing rules for, to limit screen time and, and all that, it's still less because we all still allow some amount of screen time where in the past you would, if you wanted to have fun, you got to go out in the neighborhood, get on your bike and go find your friends and figure out something to do. So I think all of those things, you know, all those things kind of lead into the mental health struggles. And then what you're talking about, it's easy to uh, go on to Facebook or Instagram and you see how wonderful everyone's life is, but that's not the reality. Everyone, no matter where you're at in life, has some kind of struggle. Something's challenging them. They're working towards something. Um, Here's what I'm interested to see. Interest rates are going to rise more. The Fed came out. Jerome Powell came out yesterday and said, hey, 50 basis point rate hike in the next meeting's on the table. The two-year treasury's pricing in a 65% probability that they go 50 instead of 25. So a faster pace of tightening. How long are we going to keep seeing all these vacations and videos and people spending money? Eventually, they're going to run out or they're not going to be willing to borrow the money at 20% and realize how much it's really costing them. At some point, it runs out. It's not like an open spigot. Money doesn't just keep, we're not printing more money. I mean, we are printing more money, but individuals aren't printing money at their house. That'd be nice to be able to There's a level that. of capacity. And, you know, I, I think about credit card debt and mental health. And I think you'd agree with me, Elias, that somebody that's in debt, it's a lot easier for somebody that's already thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in debt to keep spending money because they're already in debt. There's this weird switch that happens that once you get out of debt, you're less likely to spend money and go into debt. Like if you're debt free, I go go talk to the people who are debt free and that used to have debt. They're gonna tell you when they were in debt, it was easier to spend money. 
because it wasn't really changing their financial situation. They're already in debt. But now that they're debt free or credit card free, whatever debt free is to you, right? Because debt free is different to everybody. Debt free to some people is everything paid off at my house. Some people it's no credit cards, whatever it is. But let's say you had 30,000 in credit cards, they're paid off and they've been paid off for a period of time. I'm going to venture to guess most of those people are less likely to spend money than the people who have $30,000 of credit card debt because they haven't figured out that they need to fix this problem yet. And the problem stays the same. Like, oh, I spent another thousand bucks. Big deal. I owe 31,000 instead of 30. They're, they don't think it's a problem. I, I agree. I, yeah, I think a lot of people view debt as something that's, I guess, not, not that big a deal, but there's probably a bigger percentage of people once you don't have any debt, the relief that you get from not, because it's kind of a compounding thing where if you don't have any debt, well, what becomes easier? Your budget, saving and investing. So things that should be a priority that will lead to success. Um, it makes those things easier to accomplish, which then that reinforces good positive behavior. So it kind of compounds on itself. But yeah, I think it is easy once you're, and I think there's also a uh, kind of a mentality of, well, everyone has, everyone has debt. That's for the most part true. Most Americans do have debt and a lot of people live beyond their means, but the millionaire next door type person, they don't have a lot of debt. They have very little. Probably none. Most at some point in their life, they will have none, the vast majority of them. So that's kind of, that's like the fork in the road. Well, what do you, do you want to have stuff you can't afford or do you want to have some financial freedom someday? And it's some people choose one path. Some people choose the other path. So I'm reading through some more highlights of this uh, study, but it actually makes me think, and for some people spending is actually a coping mechanism. It is coping, like coping for what, like depression or something? All those or, different things. But yeah, different listen to some of these things. statistics. 82% of people said their friends that they spend most of their time with don't deeply know them. 68% of the people have three or fewer close friends. Well, I can tell you, I, I claim I only have like two friends. And it's not that I don't want a bunch of friends, but you know, what is a friend? You have friends and acquaintances, right? Yeah. In life, when you have two kids and a wife and a business, you don't have time for 72 friends. But if you have, what about the people that don't have any friends? 30% of people wish they had more friends. 54% of the people said they don't have a friend they feel comfortable with calling in the middle of the night for an emergency. So if, if you're like depressed or you don't have someone to talk to, what might you do? You're going to get on the computer. Like that's your yeah, friend. You can go spend, you can go spend money. It's easy. Um, so 47, Forty-seven percent of people surveyed said they experienced grief in the past year. Eighteen percent called it significant. Like people are using spending as a coping mechanism. Yeah, you know the 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 friend thing. I actually, I'm comfortable with the amount of friends I have. Do you actually have any? <laughs> well, less and less. <laughs> well, I think what happened. I still have the same people I've been friends with, I'm still always friends with. Like there's certain people, if I saw them somewhere, I would go out of my way to say hi to them. To me, that's a friend of mine, but you don't have time to keep all those relationships at the same, at the same level. So I probably have few, fewer best 
best friends or like fewer quality friendships, but you don't need, not every friendship needs to be quality. Like you also need friends in your life that if you're at a social gathering and you see that person, you can hang out with them. Those are actually part of it. Those are called acquaintances now. That's what, so I probably have more acquaintances than friends. That's how I, I'm (laughs) fine with that. I don't. Friend, friends mean there's like a level of responsibility that you owe to that person. In my opinion, you owe to that person to like communicate on a very regular basis, right? Yeah. Like if you don't talk to him in eight months, I don't consider that a, like not that it's like them. I'm not. They're an acquaintance, not a friend. Like yeah. the guy I haven't seen in eight years. That was my friend in high school. We're acquaintances. Now that we're not friends anymore, just we don't talk to each other like. If I don't know the name of your dog and your kid's friends, I don't know if I, or the name of your dog or the name of your kids, not sure we're what you call friends. You can be friends with someone and not know the name of their kids, I think. I think that's I'm called an acquaintance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Elias, personal finance and mental health, they're, they're actually really, really interconnected. And part of me has to believe that the pandemic had a negative effect on people's mental, financial health and mental well-being. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that actually really struggled during COVID financially. You know, we, we were fortunate. We're in an industry where we didn't feel it and we didn't see it. But just imagine you worked at the local restaurant or the hotel. I remember going to the Hyatt Regency in New Orleans in 2021, right after COVID, it like kind of eased and everything. I went to this hotel and this is a giant convention hotel, giant. I don't know how many, thousands of rooms. It's where they hold the huge events. And Megan was with me and I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it. We went in there and I think we were the only guests there. We didn't see another person for three days. And usually you go in there and it's like hustling and bustling and everything's open. And we were legitimately the only people there. At some level, that has to have a massive effect on the people that are working in that industry, which all trickles down to their finances. I, I mean, I know we gave the government had programs and offered assistance to people. Unfortunately, I'm not sure the people in that service industry that got hit the hardest probably got enough assistance to to keep them on on level playing ground. That that could be. I, I really don't. I can't really speak to that. I don't really know, but it's in, you know, your financial, financial wellness. It's, it's important for a lot of reasons because of the things you're talking about. Like you're in a situation like that, that can cause a lot of anxiety, which will have a negative impact on your outlook and on your mental health. Um, and, and I think if you think about, okay, if you're in a situation where you do want some help, maybe not want help, but like you're thinking, Hey, if my finances were more in order, that would be beneficial for my mental health. I think a good strategy, start with one small goal, like start with the 20, I'm going to save $20 every week, save it in a savings account, save it somewhere, but start with one behavior and go from there, make incremental changes. And I think over time, I think that's something most people who are successful with money, I don't think they just started out with all the right habits, but I think it was, they made a point to implement different habits. And then over time, you know, I think about myself when I was 22 and now I'm 35, I treat my money 
maybe not vastly different because like fundamentally I still view it the same, but I have better habits now. Well, why? Because I practiced those things for a long time and implemented them. You made a good point. And we actually try to do this at this company. What do we try to do each week? Pick one thing to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, we constantly have a lot of balls in there and projects, but we do, we do, we get dialed in on what can be accomplished. Think about this. If I wrote down a list of 52 things I wanted to accomplish for the year, January 1st, this is our new year's resolution, writing down 52 things we're going to accomplish. My guess is six or seven are going to get done because what, what's going to happen is you're going to be working on 52 different things at one time and you're not going to get anywhere. It's, where if the top of the list says, hey, my goal this week is to save $20, okay? What's goal week two? Oh, goal week two is I want to pay off my lowest balance credit card. Week three, I want to make sure I balance my checking. Like, just a little thing. Next thing you know, you, you change 52 things in your life. Right, over time. Over time. O- it over time. And I think that's... uh. I think we've talked about it before, but like people kind of in general, people overestimate what they can accomplish in like two or three months, but people naturally, they underestimate what you can accomplish in 10 years because they don't just chip away at the available task to keep, sometimes you just got to keep the ball rolling, keep it moving forward. And that's enough to continue, um, just continue down the right path, I guess. So part of what we like to do on the show is always offer like some tidbit of information. So we've got some practical, practical tips for helping you achieve financial wellness. If that's actually your goal. And a lot of times financial wellness can help your total mental health as well. I mean, if you're in a bad place financially, I'm not sure how you can be in a good place mentally. You know, if you woke woke up every day and you're like, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay this credit card? How am I going to put food on the table? There's, I, It would be challenging to stay mentally strong. So let's go through some things people can do to, to achieve financial wellness. And once again, it might be, hey, how do I chip away at this and put a strategy together over time? One of the things we'll do for people that you know engage with us is we'll help you put strategies together to get out of a financial mess. This is how long it should take to pay your debt off. How long to get an emergency fund? Now we start saving money. We can help people with some of those simple things if they need help with that. But the first step of all of this is probably, you know, getting some kind of a foundation understanding about where your money's going. You know, and that's probably through a type of a budget. If you don't really understand where your money's going, it'd be really hard to do it. There's lots of ways to do this. I use Quicken, categorize where all my expenses go. So when my wife asks how much I spend on fishing equipment, I can say this is how much I spent on fishing equipment this month. How, how often are you being asked that question? She doesn't because I don't ask what she's spending on. But I'm just saying if she wanted to know. If, okay. um, <laughs> the information's available. The information's available. And I know where it's going. I, most households, you're going to appreciate this. One person's kind of running the finances. Very rarely are two people both dialed into paying the bills and doing the budget and all those different things. Yep. That's not what my wife's interested in. She just wants to know, you know, are we saving? Like, that's her first question. We're on track for retirement. And then, two, how much can we spend after that? She's Where, pretty interested in that spending number, I think. You'd be surprised. She's actually very interested in making sure she's on track to not, for me to not have to work forever. 
good luck. Well, no, I, like, I, know, I know you have the opportunity not to, but. Yeah, that's okay. I should preface it. I'm probably working till you guys try to get rid of me. We need but a, I want to put myself in the opportunity that I have the choice to retire if I want to retire. So just like we talk, talk to people about why do you do a financial plan if you're 58? Because it's a lot easier to go to work if you know you don't have to tomorrow. Yes, it is. And I've had this with situations. Clients like, I want to retire now. Well, okay, we do the financial plan. You can. Seven years later, they're still working. Why? It's a lot easier to go to work because I know I don't have to tomorrow. It's just a different mental state that they're in. So first, got to create a budget. Two, you got to set some goals. What are the goals? What do you want to achieve with your financially? Like if your goal is to just save more money, well, how much? Put a dollar to it. Right. Like, hey, maybe your goal is to have $8,000 saved by the end of the year. Okay, well, let's figure out how to save $8,000. But if you don't have a goal, you're not going to save any more money. It, it, it won't happen. Yeah. I think the other thing with financial goal setting, so when you are saving and investing, I caution people against the goal of, well, I want to make the most return. Making the making the most return is one, it's not a realistic goal. And two, that doesn't really mean anything. Because at the end of the day, your money is just a means to a lifestyle. So that's really the things you should focus on and get dialed in on. But to say, I want to invest so I ha so I have a lot of money, to me that's not that's not like a real that's not like a real goal. Well, why do you want all that money? Well, because I want this lifestyle. Okay, now we can work. We can work with that. Um, so in addition to setting goals and these, these next two kind of go hand in hand, build an emergency fund and find ways to save money. So the emergency fund, and I feel like we've kind of been hammering and hammering on this for the last year, but I think it's a worthwhile topic because in my opinion, emergency fund is overlooked aspect of people's financial life. And it's maybe the most important aspect because when you, when you have an adequate emergency fund and you have an emergency, it doesn't derail the other things you're doing. So it's probably just money sitting in a savings account. There's nothing exciting about that. But if you need to replace your dishwasher or actually I'll just talk, I'll tell my story of this week. So we had two, two vehicles that needed work on them. One was routine maintenance. We need new brakes on our minivan. And then the alternator went out and the other car. But of course we got the minivan in the shop getting new brakes. So then when the, did the alternator go out when the other car was available? No, but that's why you have an emergency fund for situations like that. Because in life, I'm sure if our water heater broke, our dishwasher or our washer would break at the same time too, right? Things always just Surely happen at the same time. It's happening threes. Yeah. So who knows? Who even know knows? Yeah. Who, well, Okay, so it's the brakes and then the headlight on the Toyota. So that's our three. And then so the alternator. So you're, we're at three. We're done with You're telling yourself you had three. Yeah, the headlight counts. That's <laughs> <laughs> really easy to fix, but that still counts. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned finding ways to save money. And I'm going to tell most people listening to this show, if you actually paid attention, I'm not talking about saying, hey, I'm going to go out to eat less. I'm talking about things you could save a hundred, two hundred, five hundred dollars a month on that you're not using. And I'm going to use my personal experience. I just went through all of my Apple subscriptions. 
subscription to to uh, Bloomberg thirty four ninety nine a month. I hardly ever use it. Crayola four ninety nine a week. Canceled. Crayola, what is that? It's an app for my kids to do drawing stuff on the computer. They could just draw on paper. But so was, Crayola charges people four bucks a week to color. Yeah, let me read it. I'm online, gonna read all these subscriptions that I buy a box. Of, buy a box of uh, crayons and color. No, listen. And, I love it. But, but for real, this is normal for like most people. I'm gonna go through and read the subscriptions that I've canceled that I've had. ABC Mouse, sixty bucks a year. NOAA Weather, nine ninety nine a month. Evernote, sixty nine bucks a year. Paramount Plus, which I don't watch, four ninety nine. Noggin Preschool Learning, nine ninety nine a month. Crayola, four ninety nine a week. Like you go through and you add it up, and it's like two or three hundred dollars a month, and ninety percent of it doesn't get used. I'm not different probably than most people. I one time I saw the Bloomberg subscription. I justified it because it's a business expense. But I'm like, well, yeah, but I still spend $35 a month that I never use. Like the Bloomberg article is available somewhere else in the internet for free. Well, right. We had and a with, research with all the access we have to research and 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 articles like paying for it. It's kind of silly because you can get the same information. It's all out there. You don't and you don't have to pay for all the information. Just our back office research department, all the stuff that they put out, they're probably not putting out. Bloomberg's probably not putting out much anything much different or better information. But I'm just telling people and some of it, I'm just letting people know that saving money doesn't always mean cutting back. It can just say, hey, where is the areas that I'm actually not using this? And this didn't really exist 15 years ago. People didn't have 10 or 15 or 20 subscriptions that they didn't use, but we become a subscription based society. Look at almost any business model today. They're trying to get people to subscribe. Here's why. When I'm paying a dollar four ninety nine a month for Paramount and it goes through PayPal, it's not really real that I'm paying. I'm not handing out dollar bills. It's just a subscription. It's four ninety nine. You have a, uh, What's the razor company? Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club. I've had a membership with have, them for like 14 yeah. years. I have my own Dollar Shave Club. I just go buy like 75 razors when I need them. And then when I run out, I go get more. So they'd ship me razors for 15 years. I have a lifetime supply. But it was like $2 a month and I just didn't want to figure out how to shut it off. Like the effort to go to the computer and actually like figure out my login because I'd never logged in after I set it up. I'm like, this is just too much work. Well, finally, I needed a new razor, like a new handle. So I went there. I'm like, man, I have 350 blades. I probably don't need anymore. So I shut it off. But how many people out there just clicking away at two and four and five dollars a month? And while it doesn't add up a, a lot if it's one, but if you have 10 of these subscriptions, it's a ton of money. Yeah. And I guess if you are going to do that, you should just be throwing away the razor's when you get new ones, probably just throw away the old ones and then use the new ones. The problem is they haven't been used yet. These are all unused. Yeah, you have so many. <clears throat> because how many razors do you need a week? I don't know. Not many. No, but not more so than one. try to find ways to save money. It doesn't always have to be cutting back. But I mean, a good way to cut back is not eating out. It's probably the number one place people waste the most money is on restaurants. I mean, bar none, 
you know, we went to sushi last night, it was 85 bucks. Well, okay, you can say, well, groceries are 300, but that feeds your family for the whole week, not one meal for two adults, not including your kids. Uh, prioritize debt reduction. You know, there's two ways to do this, debt snowball, the debt avalanche. If you want more information on that, you can go to our website, request some information. But we, we believe in the debt snowball versus the avalanche. Pay off your smallest debts first. Don't worry about the, the interest rates that you're actually paying. It's not really that relevant. We want to have some sense of accomplishment as you work through this. Yep. Um, investing for future and longer term financial goals and then um, seeking help if you need it. So I think it's pretty obvious where we stand on this. Um, I think using a professional office and using professional advice is, um, was, is within most people's uh, best interests or can help facilitate their goals. But I think when you're working with a financial advisor, the things you can be kind of sure of are you're probably going to be buying quality funds, ETFs, whatever they're using to help you. You're also going to have someone to, at times where you need some handholding or you just need some guidance, like this last year when the market gets bad, stay convicted, don't make any bad decisions, and maybe potentially the number one thing we help our clients do is don't time the market. Like it's a conversation I get into a lot, not with clients we work with, but just out in my life. There's a lot of people out there trying to time the market and trying to do things like that, that are just ineffective, impossible to be done. And is not really relevant towards long-term success. So I think if if you're going to invest, uh, I would recommend working with someone. So yeah, I think a professional to help you facilitate your investing and um, how to achieve your long-term goals is a good idea for the vast majority of people. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Hey, Elias, with that said, I think we've had a great show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're looking for help, you can go to btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.